The following program contains mature subject matter. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. Here's a quote from Dr. John Money. Quote, If I were to see the case of a boy aged 10 or 11 who's intensely erotically attracted toward a man in his 20s or 30s, if the relationship is totally mutual, and the bonding is genuinely, totally mutual, then I would not call it pathological in any way, end quote. Would it surprise you to learn that normalization of gender fluidity is rooted in the same ideology as critical race theory? You will hardly be surprised once you begin to understand the whole sordid story. Transgenderism itself is not a new phenomenon. Many adults have undergone gender transition throughout history. The cliché in the 1970s was about a middle-aged man going to Sweden for a sex change operation. What is novel today is the growing normalization of transgenderism among children in Western society. Instinctively, we all know deep down that something about this all seems terribly wrong. Our gut feelings are so often correct and we ignore them at our peril. They point us toward the inexorable truth that this is really just predatory sexual abuse. It is our God-given moral intuition which alarms and disturbs us at the sight of children being groomed and bullied into the transgender cult. This is clearly exploitation of child psychological illness for profit and political power. If a young girl suffered from anorexia, but saw herself as obese, we would never support her desire for liposuction surgery to remove imaginary excess fat. However, if she sees herself as a boy, proponents of gender ideology demand that her desire to surgically alter her body be fulfilled. Rather than wait for their kids to reach adulthood before making such drastic physiological changes, Parents who buy into queer theory encourage their own children to transition while they are still too young to vote, consume alcohol, smoke, or drive. This is despite the fact that we know the human brain is not fully developed until we reach the age of 25. Tragically, for the young people who are harmed by transitioning, the damage done to their bodies and minds is irreversible. Countless children have regretted the decision and are suing the hospitals and physicians responsible. The worst of these cases involve those pressured by their own parents to continue gender reassignment even after the child has clearly expressed a change of heart. Transgender research was pioneered by Dr. John Money, 1921 to 2006. He was a New Zealand psychologist, sexologist, and author known for his controversial research into sexual identity and biology of gender. He was one of the first researchers to publish theories on the supposed influence of societal constructs of gender on individual formation of gender identity. He introduced the terms gender role and sexual orientation. He also popularized the now common terms gender identity and paraphilia, 
Working with endocrinologist Claude Mijon, Money established the Johns Hopkins Gender Identity Clinic, the first of its kind in the United States, to perform sexual reassignment surgeries on both infants and adults. A dark secret of academia was revealed in a 1997 academic study criticizing Money's work, particularly regarding the involuntary sex reassignment of David Reimer, who committed suicide at age 38 and whose brother died of a drug overdose at age 36. Some of Money's therapy sessions involved sexual activity between the brothers while they were still children. Reimer was raised as a girl under Money's instruction. Money theorized that if the boy's parents raised him as a girl, he would mature to be a normal, mentally healthy girl. Of course, the story ended badly for Reimer. He always thought that he was a boy, even when forced to wear the dresses bought for him. Decades of abuse finally caught up to him, and he killed himself. The leftist academic community covered up the story to save both Money's reputation and the faux scientific validity of his deadly research. Cross-dressing was traditionally regarded as a sexual fetish. So just imagine an innocent child made to do it under the direction of a so-called expert like money. This normalization of child sexual abuse is perhaps one of the best kept open secrets in the halls of academia. A quick search of Dr. John Money brings you to the Kinsey Institute, where he remains celebrated as a hero in advancing the study of sex and sexuality. The Kinsey Institute, named for the late Alfred Kinsey, produced papers and research fundamental to introducing the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 1970s when all traditional sexual norms were forsaken in favor of free love. The Kinsey Institute is largely responsible for the long history of promoting sexual abuse disguised as scientific research. The sexual revolution referred to Alfred Kinsey's self-styled research on human sexuality as its scientific guidance manual. In order to break all sexual taboos, Kinsey collected data from many pedophiles under the auspices of scientific research. Kinsey consistently encouraged these pedophiles to keep sexually abusing children for the sake of science on human sexuality, which involves, quote, child sexuality. For example, scientists tracked and recorded the average stimulation time before climax of babies as young as five months old in Kinsey's horrifying study, Sexual Behavior and the Human Male. Kinsey was famously quoted as saying, quote, the only unnatural sex act is that which you cannot perform, end quote. One of the pedophiles Kinsey corresponded with was the Nazi officer Dr. Fritz von Balusek, who raped and documented his own victims' reactions as research. This is reminiscent of the detestable Amon Goth character in Spielberg's Schindler's List. This homicidal pedophile's correspondence with Kinsey was only discovered inferentially via the murder investigation involving a 10-year-old girl. Interpol demanded that the Kinsey Institute disclose von Balusek's letters to German investigators. The Kinsey Institute initially refused to comply, but ultimately had to release the letters under court order. The shocking story behind the Kinsey Report was revealed in a 1998 Channel 4 BBC documentary 
It is available on YouTube. It is incredibly disturbing to watch. For example, one of the victims of Kinsey's research describes in detail how her own father, who worked to gather data for Kinsey, kept looking down at his watch as he serially raped her. He was keeping track of the time it took for the girl to reach orgasm. Such is the research behind normalization of sexual crimes against children. This is the dark history of the sexual revolution of which the Kinsey reports were the guiding light. The Kinsey Institute honors Dr. Money as an integral figure of scientific research on human sexuality. After all, Money also defended pedophilia as just another part of human sexuality. So how then does the normalization of pedophilia through the sexual revolution relate to critical race theory? We can trace the roots of the sexual revolution to the French philosopher Michel Foucault, one of the most influential thinkers in the postmodernist movement. Those familiar with academic trends know that Foucault is a much beloved leftist intellectual. His ideas helped set the stage for the critical theory virus now infecting universities worldwide. Queer theory's connection to pedophilia is part of an illogical progression. Critical theory upends normative institutions and behavior in order to overthrow the traditional oppressive establishment. Queer theory is but one of many tentacles of critical theory, and Foucault is its godfather. According to Foucault, all traditional social norms must be destroyed. He endorsed pedophilia because the traditional patriarchy sets oppressive social norms based upon heterosexual dominance. Thus, children are able to consent to sexual relations and both they and pedophiles are only denied sexual relations by their heterosexual oppressors. No queer theorists are on record against pedophilia as it is clearly part and parcel of their creed. Queer theory advocates for pedophilia by presenting sexual fetishes as a fight for civil rights. This is the genesis of the new term minor attracted persons or MAPS. The word pedophile is actually being expunged from the social, scientific, and legal lexicon as discriminatory. Even highly successful public figures like J.K. Rowling cannot escape the wrath of queer theory cultists. Rowling, renowned author of the award-winning Harry Potter novel series, voiced justifiable concern about denial of biological sex, which she regards as a surreptitious attack upon womanhood. This attracted the hateful label, trans-exclusionary radical feminist, or TERF, which describes feminist bigotry. Another so-called TERF, Professor Sheila Jeffries, said something quite poignant about the truth behind the pro-trans movement that we all need to carefully consider. She described it as a sexual fetish masquerading as a civil rights movement. It is truly mad to think that we have reached a point in society today when protesting imposition of sexual fetishes upon children, as I recently did in my home community, paints us as hateful bigots. From Foucault to Kinsey to Money, if we rally against robbing innocence of children, these pro-pedophilia intellectuals feel entitled to declare that we are nothing but repressive, conservative prudes afraid of exploring the vast panoply of human sexuality. I, for one, am frightened 
about exploiting child sexuality. I'm also appalled, revolted, angered, and absolutely condemn the immoral and unholy practice of pedophilia. Foucault's ideas were terrible, and his personal life reflected it. But he was not the only high-profile intellectual darling of academia guilty of sexual abuse against children. Around him were other influential thinkers who shaped the ideas of today's progressive politics. Foucault was perhaps the most popular intellectual of his time. As such, an off-sided source, he heavily influenced most of the ideas now taught to bright young college students. When we note that, quote, academia leans to the left, quote, what that really means is that our institutions of higher learning are dominated by thinkers like Foucault. A close personal friend of his once came forth with accusations about Foucault engaging in pedophilic exploitation of young boys in Tunisia. He recalls how Foucault used to bribe desperately impoverished young boys with cash in exchange for sex at a local cemetery. As besotted as this description is, is hardly shocking. Those familiar with Foucault's intellectual history know that he actively endorsed normalization of pedophilia. He even led a 1977 petition to lower the legal age of consent for sex with children. Foucault was the philosopher king to flower children of the 1960s and 70s. His rise to prominence coincided with the era of counterculture, sexual revolution. Before then, society generally viewed sex as a sacred act reserved primarily for matrimonial monogamy. Foucault spearheaded the movement to eliminate all such repression. Foucault and his acolytes were the drivers of one of the most pivotal student uprisings in France that changed the course of Western culture. Known as the May 1968 student protest in France, its chief slogan was, It is forbidden to forbid. Social taboos were broken on principle. Nothing was out of the question. No behaviors were deemed too repugnant. No human desire deemed obscene, not even pedophilia. According to Foucault, there are forms of oppression and domination which become invisible, the new normal. If this seems difficult to believe, then consider that Foucault was not alone in this endorsement of pedophilia. Many other prominent intellectuals of his era supported Foucault's view that pedophilia must be openly embraced by society at large. Simone de Beauvoir not only promoted pedophilia, she practiced it. Anyone familiar with feminist theory recognizes de Beauvoir's name instantly. Her work, The Second Sex, laid the groundwork for the modern feminist movement. It brought forth the notion of oppressor versus oppressed as a Marxist class struggle pitting women against men. De Beauvoir is famous for saying that one is not born, but rather becomes a woman. This line is now used to justify allowing children to transition into another or multitudinous genders. Among her pedophilic enterprises was grooming underage girls for sex and later passing them on to her longtime lover, the existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre. Wielding her power and position to procure young girls to be statutorily raped and sharing in that experience with her boyfriend, she was the Gisley Maxwell of her time and Sartre the Jeffrey Epstein. Sartre and de Beauvoir maintained an open relationship sharing sexual partners who were most often students seduced by de Beauvoir. Sartre, too, also signed the 
infamous petition to lower the age of consent in France. He was another progressive intellectual who hated capitalism and took part in the main 1968 protest. Sartre was a kindred spirit to Epstein and just as powerful, at least within the world of philosophy. Just as no one really knows what Epstein did to get so rich, no one really comprehends Sartre's philosophy beyond, of course, his fierce advocacy of the superiority of Marxism. He was an avowed admirer of Fidel Castro and his brutal generalissimo, Che Guevara. To explain the core of pedophile philosophy, we must first ask the question, how could a group of deemed intellectually superior adults get away with promotion of illicit sexual abuse and exploitation of children? The answer is found within the school of postmodernist thought. At the poisonous root of postmodernism lies the subjectivity of values. Nothing is objectively right or wrong. Human morality is merely a social construct. And since society's moral standards are fabricated by the status quo, it is imperative that we deconstruct extinct social structures. This is known as post-structuralism or deconstructionism within academia. The transgression of moral norms follows from postmodernist groupthink. Since everything is subjective to one's experience, feelings, and consciousness, nothing can be objectively true or sacred. Childhood innocence, for example, is merely a social construct. Since each of us have differing opinions about childhood sexuality, how are we to judge what is objectively or morally right or wrong? Far worse than just being ambiguous about cultural standards is how the postmodernist deconstructionist movement actually promotes demoralization of universally accepted values. They see this as challenging the hegemony of power. Since the dominant hegemony of sexual morality lies in, quote, traditional patriarchal values, end quote, these radical intellectuals believe that sexual desires can be utilized as a revolutionary force in politics. In this way, they employ child sexual abuse as a political tool. Pedophilia is but one of the methods by which they bully us to accept non-normative hegemony. Once normative sexuality is seen as the progression from an oppressive patriarchal hegemony, then the sanctity of childhood innocence is no more than another social construct to be dismantled. The promotion of pedophilia is encouraged because transgression of norms, particularly sexual ones, became the only response to punishment and classification, which would, according to Foucault, challenge oppression and power. To better understand why these postmodernist ideas weaponized destruction of childhood innocence as a political tool, we need only return to the May 1968 slogan, It is forbidden to forbid. Participants there viewed family, morality, and reproduction as bourgeois and repressive, believing that unfettered hedonism could destroy patriarchal society and its engine, capitalism. But surely, you say, all of this is in the past. It cannot be that we still subscribe to such terribly arcane ideas in our postmodern times, right? Regrettably, just as Marxism is surging in popularity among the Generation Z set, 
the legitimization of adult sexual relations with children is being tacitly promoted by intellectuals. Judith Butler is one such example. She is an influential feminist, much celebrated within her academic circle. Heavily influenced by Foucault, Butler pushes the legitimacy and legality of what she calls intergenerational sex, a jargon term describing the ability of adults to have sex with children. In defense of this obscene idea, Butler cites Foucault's work on the subject. Patriarchal society leads to hegemonic masculinity, leads to gendered socialism, leading to power inequity, which leads to social and health inequality, that leads to social reproduction of patriarchy, and the cycle goes round and round. The moral standards for sexuality are set by the patriarchal hegemony, so in order to dismantle this archetype, social deviance must be encouraged, promoting transgression of socially established norms. Pedophiles can thus defend their perverse sexual orientation by claiming that children are only traumatized by sex with adults because they are told by authority figures that this is sexual abuse. The progenitors of transgenderism, like John Money, Alfred Kinsey, and Michel Foucault, would undoubtedly be most pleased with programs now being created in Canada. The fully woke Trudeau government is funding sex change surgeries for federal public service employees who are transgender, despite many Canadians taking to Twitter to express displeasure with this new and exclusive health benefit. Starting the 1st of July, 2023, Canada Day, each transgender employee receives a health benefit of up to $75,000 for, quote, gender affirmation procedures, such as sex reassignment surgeries. The Canada Life Insurance Company, which administers the Public Service Health Care Plan, or PSHCP, will begin covering medically necessary interventions for people on gender affirmation journeys, not covered by their provincial health plan. The gender-affirming care includes sex change surgeries and hormone therapies to help individuals align their gender identity with their body and physical presentation. The PSHCP is not specific on what procedures will be covered. For example, some trans activists view electrolysis, liposuction, facial masculinization, and feminization surgery as necessary. To access the $75,000 in gender affirmation coverage, a person must have an approved gender affirmation application form, be an adult, have exhausted all of their provincial health coverage, and a physician or nurse must administer all the planned procedures. Gender theory and critical race theory thus began a half century ago as the fringe ideological imaginings and experiments of intellectual pedophiles then bled into the curricula of our public schools and universities before being now expressed as rights-based government emoluments offered exclusively to members of the transgender cult. The troubling questions now are, whither do we go from here? And at what cost to our children and their shared future? It seems that we are now tasting the fruit of the poisonous tree, the roots of which were planted by 20th century pedophilic intellectuals, 
the ones who so callously fashioned an ideology designed to deconstruct and destroy the foundational truth and beauty of Western civilization. I'll close with a thought from the great Dr. Thomas Sowell. Intellectuals may like to think of themselves as people who speak truth to power, but too often they are people who speak lies to gain power.